Hello and welcome to Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. I recently did a final project for a museum studies class where I envisioned a city-specific sports museum. It's fascinating to me how all types of sports and sports figures are represented in a geographic area, no matter its size. In this episode, we'll head up to Buffalo, New York, and its city-specific sports museum, the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame. Today on the show, I speak with John Boutte, archivist and curator for the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame in Buffalo, New York. John also has an enormous personal collection of Buffalo sports memorabilia and is an expert on Buffalo sports history. And it's not just the well-known teams like the Bills and Sabres in Buffalo either, as John will explain. For my overtime segment this week, I'll be exploring the life and career of pitching great Warren Spahn, the all-time winningest left-handed pitcher in Major League Baseball history who happened to be born and raised in Buffalo. I hope you enjoy my conversation with John. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm speaking with John Boutte, the archivist and curator for the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame. John, how are you doing? We're doing great, Andrew. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. I would love to start with your background. That's how I start most every interview I do. And just curious about how people get into collecting, get into museums, get into sports in general. So just kind of talk about kind of where you grew up and how that fandom began for you. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in a, a suburb of Buffalo, New York called Kenmore, New York, and was hooked to sports right off the, the get-go. I believe I started collecting right when I was about five or six years old. Baseball cards, football cards, hockey cards, basketball cards were the, the, the uh, thing we could collect and the things that we could actually afford. So that was, that was where it first started. I went on to uh, Canisius College where I got my bachelor's and master's degree in physical education. And I'm currently a physical education teacher in, in a nearby suburb here in Buffalo. Okay, awesome. And how did you get involved with the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame? Well, I'm, I've always been a big collector here in town. And about 13 years ago, uh, the Buffalo News sports writer Mike Harrington did an article about my collecting and my passion for, for history. And that was uh, published in a Sunday color spread. At the time, Brian Cavanaugh, who was the president, the then president of the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, uh, sent me a message and said, we really need help in our uh, archives department and curating our exhibit. And would you be interested in uh, taking the job? And I said, you know, absolutely. I mean, I love uh, history. I love anything to do with with all kind of sports and especially the, uh, the the preservation and archiving of everything involved in it. So uh, I've been with the organization for 13 years now and have uh, loved every minute of it. That's awesome. I would love for you to kind of speak somewhat briefly, because I know there's a lot we could get into about the sports history of Buffalo and just kind of the various teams and various leagues that have had teams in Buffalo, which is a, a pretty large town in New York State, obviously. So how did sports in Buffalo begin and then what what teams do they have currently? Well, I mean, you're talking professional sports goes all the way back to uh, the 1870s. The Buffalo Bison baseball team uh, is one of the oldest still existing uh, minor league baseball teams in, in the country. And uh, so it would date all the way back to that. Buffalo's had a rich history of not only baseball, but basketball. There was a team here in Buffalo called the Buffalo Germans, who were a, one, of the, one of the greatest basketball teams to ever exist. 
And they're actually inducted one of only, I think, I believe six teams inducted in the James Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So uh, a rich history in basketball here as well. Uh, as for football, uh, football dates back to the, to the teens uh, with a team called the Buffalo All-Americans who were a uh, inaugural member of the American Professional Football Association, which uh, was the precursor to the National Football League. So uh, football has been around for uh, probably over 100 years here in town. And hockey has always been a big sport in Buffalo, being a, a border to Canada. Uh, hockey has always been a big sport in Buffalo, and that dates back to the 1800s as well. An organization that, that uh, was around for a very long time we call the Buffalo Bisons hockey team, not to be confused with the Bison baseball team. So a really rich heritage of Buffalo sports here in town. And uh, everybody thinks of, you know, the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills, but uh, they don't realize that we had an, an NBA team here called the Buffalo Braves for eight seasons, which, uh, which now reside in Los Angeles as the Clippers. You know, we're much more than a hockey and football town. We have a rich history in all sports, and uh, it, it's just fun to, to research that. And then today, professionally, we have the uh, Bills and Sabres in the major American professional leagues and then all sorts of minor league teams, I presume. So what are the yeah. current like minor league teams in Buffalo? Well, the, the big one, obviously, is the Buffalo Bisons, a AAA team. They're the AAA affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays. And like I said, they've been in existence since uh, around 1870. So one of the oldest uh, still active minor league baseball teams in the country. Also a very, very uh, successful uh, lacrosse team called the Buffalo Bandits, who have won four championships in their, in their league. So in um, not just hockey, not just football, you know, we've got a variety of, uh, of minor league sports. Uh, actually, we have a, a girls hockey team called the Buffalo Buttes who've also won championships in their league. So it's not just the Sabres. It's not just the Bills. We have a really rich history that dates back a long time. Yeah. And it's cool that that history is still around and you're helping to preserve that both with your personal collection, but then also with the greater Buffalo sports hall of fame. So can you kind of talk about, you mentioned before we started recording the location of the sports hall of fame being kind of up in the air and kind of having to change recently. So um, could you tell that story for us? Absolutely. Uh, our organization, the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, was started in 1991. So we have a, an over 30-year history uh, celebrating all these wonderful athletes and teams and accomplishments. In 1996, uh, the city of Buffalo opened a new arena here in town. Uh, at the time, it was called Marine Midland Arena, and now it's uh, the Key Bank Center. And that's where the Buffalo Sabres play. Uh, we were included in that uh, design of the arena in 1996, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, who are the main tenant, uh, gave us a beautiful uh, space down in the main concourse that is outside their retail location. So it got tons of traffic. And every time you went to a game, anytime you went to a concert or a circus or something like that, our beautiful exhibit was on display, uh, like I said, highlighting all our, our great uh, inductees. And we had that, uh, we had that display up until around 2018, early 19, when the team wanted to uh, expand its retail location. And we understood that. I mean, we were uh, a nonprofit organization that were, was basically given the space rent-free. 
We didn't have to mm-hmm. pay anything for it. It was a beautiful location. And we can't, we can't say anything bad about the Sabres because they basically gave us that location for a long, long time uh, rent-free. So at that point, I had to basically go in, take care of everything, uh, wrap everything up, put everything away. We did have a satellite location at what's called Salem Field, which is where the Bison's baseball team plays. And we did have a nice exhibit over there in a nice uh, uh, historical room that I also ran for the Bison's uh, called the Hall of Fame and Heritage Room for the Buffalo Bison. So we did have a nice presence over there for two years. And uh, unfortunately, when COVID came, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays actually had to come and play in that stadium because That's right. uh, they, yeah. couldn't, they couldn't play in Canada. So they took over the stadium. The room was transferred uh, into uh, offices and security detail, things like that. For the for the Blue Jays, so it has not yet been back reopened, uh, which is uh, which is kind of a sad thing because uh, it was very popular here in Buffalo. So basically, right now, our entire uh, museum, our entire uh, archives, is in storage right now. So we are in talks right now with a location here in Buffalo. Uh, it's I can't tell you the name of the place that it will be housed, but it, it should be released shortly. And um, the place is in uh, sports. So it does have a sports background. It will be a great location for us. Uh, the company, I'm not t- disclosing, uh, is the biggest in their field in the, in the world. So it's okay. going to be a really nice exhibit. It's going to be a really nice museum. Um, and it's, uh, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm sure because it, it sounds like you guys would have an opportunity to maybe tell additional stories or have more space. I'm not sure what the details are, but that, yeah. that'd be a really cool thing to kind of put everything back in a sense, but then also kind of expand and um, change things around too, as you all feel free to. So that's a neat aspect of moving a museum or having to move a museum with all the hassle that's involved, I'm sure, but it's kind of a new opportunity as well. Absolutely. And and that's that's kind of one of the things you have to deal with with museums. Sometimes buildings get taken over, sold out from underneath you, uh, you know, leases end, things like that. So I'm sure, you know, uh, in that field that that happens, not all the time, but once in a while, it's one of the, uh, the realities of, of having a museum. Yeah. So you can either talk about like going back to the arena days or at where the Bisons play. What were some of the exhibits that people really resonated with, with the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame? Well, obviously, the Bills and the Sabres are the two biggest because those those franchises are still in existence. But people just absolutely love the older, the better. You know, we have so many inductees in our Hall of Fame that date back to the 1800s and early 1900s that people don't know about, which are really world class athletes. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, We just found, believe it or not, uh, a resident here in Buffalo who was born in Buffalo in the 1800s, was the very first world wrestling champion woman. And no one even, no one even knew who this person was. I'm a sports history junkie. So I'm looking through old scrapbooks that I happen to acquire. And I saw this article about this woman named Cora Livingston. And it said that she had won the, the very first world wrestling belt for a woman. And I thought, I have never heard this story before. So I had to research this and turns out she was, she was the very first world wrestling champion for a woman. 
And us who were stewards of Buffalo sports, none of us, including me, had ever even heard of her before. So, you know, we, we find it fun how we find these people. And that's what uh, residents here in town, they love to hear these stories of people that had kind of fallen through the cracks that aren't, you know, names like Jim Kelly or Bruce Smith or Gilbert Perrault. They love these people that are just, you know, one of them who happened to be make it really big. So that's kind of one of the stories of, uh, of some of the people that are in our hall of fame. Yeah, that's really neat. And I think that's really cool about kind of city or more, um, location-based halls of fame is that you have like the big professional athletes like Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and whoever, but then also people that you kind of uncover like that, or a lot of high school figures or small colleges around town. So like, that's, the cool part, you have kind of a mix of yeah. everything, all sports, all abilities, all different types of athletes kind of all mi mixed together in the Hall of Fame class and then kind of as a whole as inductees. So what do the yeah. induction processes look like for the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame? Well, we have a long list of names of probably over 700 names. And many of those names were uh, referred to us by the public. We do our own research. Uh, we go back through, like I said, scrapbooks. We go back through old newspapers, microfiche to find people that had done something in the sports world here in Buffalo that, that warrant uh, recognition. And that kind of starts with that. And what we do is we whittle those 700 names down to approximately 30 or 40 names. Uh, we go to, uh, we have a media advisory board here in town, which, which encompasses uh, the local radio station, sports radio stations, sports television, print media, and we meet with them and we get their input and who we think uh, should be the next class. We look at that, we get that down to around 20 names. And out of that 20, we elect eight living inductees. And then we have also what's called a deceased category, or we call it our pride of Western New York category. Those are people that have passed on. So we induct those people posthumously for our class of 12 every year. So it really is fun to be able to go through from 700 names and get it down to 12. It really is yeah. an amazing it, it, when you look at it. You know, there's a lot of great discussion, a lot of great debate, and we have a lot of fun doing it. And every year we, we elect a class and we just can't believe this is a great class, you know, so it, it works out well. Yeah, that's a ton of names, 700 to go through and just kind of yeah. hear, like figure out their stories and their stats and their achievements. And yeah. you can't elect 700 people every year, but you can no. elect 12. So like that's um, a cool process to kind of whittle it down and um, well done process, it sounds like, to yeah. get input. And are residents involved or fans of any kind involved? Uh, fans can nominate anyone they wish. Uh, that gets uh, put on to us. We ask them to fill out a form. We ask them to go through resumes and, and give us uh, as much information about an athlete or, um, or a coach or a manager or athletic director as they can find. And then that gets turned over to us. And what's fun is, you know, like you said, not everybody's a slam dunk. Not everybody is a Warren Spahn who's from Buffalo. Not everybody's a Bob Lanier from Buffalo. But their names like, you know, athletic directors that have been working in town for 30 or 40 or even 50 years that, you know, need to be recognized as well so it's a really fun process we have a great time with it yeah our, dinner, wanna... our induction dinner uh draws upwards of 800 to 1,000 people every single year so it's one uh... of the biggest it's one of the biggest events in buffalo every single year 
that's awesome to hear. And that just speaks to people's passion. And I know Buffalo is a very passionate city. You have Bill's Mafia that most people know about. Are there any table smashes at the induction dinner? <laughs> no, we, we, we kind of, the, the, the place that we have at the convention center kind of frowns upon stuff like that. So we, sure. we don't do any of that, but there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, beers consumed and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Where do you think that passion comes from, from Buffalo sports fans and kind of all sports fans officially? I know it looks different for different people and I have my own stories about passion of sports, but what's your perspective on that? Well, Buffalo is a city that has residents for a long period of time. You know, my parents were from here. Uh, their parents were from here and people seem to stay here in Buffalo, New York. And they, they're very, very protective over their sports teams, especially the Bills. And, you know, I think that just comes from, you know, in your family, you know, you look at Yankees fans, they're kind of the same way. You know, if you grew up a Yankee fan, you know, your father was, their father was, and it kind of gets passed down. I think Buffalo is, is, is the epitome of that local town that's very passionate about their, about their sports. I think the weather plays a big factor in it too. Uh, we go five months out of the year without really seeing the sunshine. So very passionate about hockey and football season, which happens in that, you know, nasty weather time. So there's not a lot to do in Buffalo during that period. So that's why I think, you know, we really get up for hockey games, really get up for Bills games. And that's where that passion really comes from. So there's a lot of factors involved, but uh, we're, we're definitely one of the most passionate fan bases in, in the world. Yeah. And it's exciting. Like every football season, I'm a big Chiefs fan. I'm from Kansas City. So the Chiefs and Bills rivalry over the past few years. And yeah. there's like a lot of mutual respect there, too. But then the, both fan bases are doing tailgating and, and having a good time in the parking lot before the game. And those are just really fun games yeah. to watch and a really and fun Buffalo. rivalry for a long time. Kansas City and Buffalo has become must-see TV. I mean, it's it's always a great game, and it seems like we're always playing in Kansas City. We're going there again next year. So one of these years, you're going to get Kansas City come to Buffalo. I don't know when that'll be, but uh, maybe in the playoffs. That's right, yeah. And those teams go back to the AFL, I believe, too. So like that speaks to some older professional sports history. And what's I, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but – What's the importance of preserving the history of those old teams, even before like the AFL bills in the sixties, like way, way back to hundred years ago. Like why is it so important to preserve those stories from those teams and players? Well, you hate to see anything, you know, fall into obscurity and, you know, those players meant so much to our relatives, you know, my, my grandparents, my great grandparents. And I think it's important just to keep that alive because, you know, a city's identity is so much built around their sports. You know, Buffalo's identity is so much built around their sports. So we're very proud of that history. And, and you know, us, the greater Buffalo sports hall of fame, we like to consider us our, ourselves stewards of the game. And we think that's important. Do you all partner with other community organizations or halls of fame? Cause New York has a lot of sports history in itself and um, Cooperstown's not that far away and Canada's not that far away either. So just wondering yeah. if there were any um, partnerships you all have. I don't know if we do partnerships, but I have worked with all four major Hall of Fames. I was on the phone today with a Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Uh, they they had called me looking to uh, identify a jersey that they had acquired. And I'm kind of the guy in Buffalo that, that kind of does all that stuff. So I was on the phone uh, digging through archives, you know, finding things for them. And, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of developed a relationship with them. I've worked with the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, the Professional Football Hall of Fame in Canton, and 
and the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, we've all done uh, work together. We've used them as a source and they've used us as a source as well. So we haven't really done anything physically together, but you know, mm-hmm. we, we use each other's knowledge and, uh, and resources a lot. That's a good point. Cause you can't always do like a traveling exhibit or something. And right. you can always like use online resources or have a, a call about a specific question. And that's a good way to kind of show how small the museum world is. And that's something I've learned, like, as I've started um, my journey throughout that industry, like people know each other and they know each other at different halls of fame and museums. And there's yeah. a lot of interactions that happen like that. No question. Yeah. I mean, we're, we all, we're all doing what we love. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. With, with in terms of memorabilia, in terms of preservation, and in and, and terms of uh, honoring the people that are in our in particular sports. So yeah, we all we all know each other and and will do anything to help any of the other halls of fame. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to kind of talk about like your personal collection. Um, when I first emailed John, he sent back a video of his personal um, Buffalo sports collection, which is quite impressive. And if he's okay with it, I will link to that video in the show notes for the episode so other people can view it. But how did you start like developing a personal collection? Cause there is so much history just within your space that you personally have too. So where did that kind of come about? Yeah. Like I said, I, I started at five years old collecting gum cards. So that kind of, that kind of morphed into uh, collecting ticket stubs, believe it or not. I, I love ticket stubs. It's kind of a link to a particular game in history. So I, I went to collecting ticket stubs and programs uh, were, were big in my early days of collecting. But I was one of those one of those kids that just loved to save stuff. You know, not every kid is the same. And I was lucky that I had a mother who was happy that I was involved in something like that. And she, believe it or not, never threw anything out which, you know, in, in the collecting world, you hear all the stories about, oh, my mom wouldn't have thrown those, you know, Mickey Mantle cards away. You know, I'd be a millionaire. My mom wasn't like that. She let me keep stuff. She, she actually encouraged that. So that was good. So that's kind of where that came from. And then, you know, as you get older, you start getting a little bit of disposable income and you say, well, I've always wanted one of those, or I've always wanted a jersey, a game used jersey. You get a little bigger, you know, you keep, you keep growing the collection a little bit more. Until you get something like this, which has really become a museum in itself. Um, I've had people come to my basement and just say, I think I'd rather be here than Cooperstown, which is like the ultimate pat on the back. It's, it makes you feel really good. Yeah. That's kind of where I, I started with being a kid. That's really cool. Do you have a favorite type of artifact? I will ask that first before your favorite like overall artifact. Do you have a favorite type of thing to collect, whether it's a ball or a ticket or a program or something? Yeah. You know what I've really come to admire and, and really love to collect are pennants, sports pennants of teams throughout history. Pennants are, are just a fun thing to collect because when I was a boy, uh, you had to get a pennant. It was a dollar. Uh, we used to go to the War Memorial Stadium, which was the football stadium here before the stadium they play in now. And I would beg my dad for a dollar. But can I buy a pennant? And back in those days, it would come on a big stick, a big wooden stick, and you would shake it above your head, you know, and hit the game. You never see that anymore. That's not done anymore. Yeah. But I think pennants are really cool. The colors, the logos, it's just a great visual thing to, to really respect and, and think about history. So I've always loved pennants. I love ticket stubs for the same reason. Back in the old days, ticket stubs had character. They had color. They had images. Much different than tickets of today where, you know, you scan your phone 
there is really no ticket stubs of today. So I gravitate to those things that, that I loved when I was a little kid. So I think that's another one that I love. And then programs too, because of the art that's on the cover, the beautiful color art, the drawings, just fantastic, you know, visualization of, of, you know, being at a game was that program. And you don't, again, you don't get that now. You get a little paper handout with the lineup and that's it. Back in the old days, it was a big, thick program, a ticket stub, and you bought a pennant. So those three are my favorite things that I love to collect. That's cool. We were just talking about pennants today at work. I work at the Spencer Museum of Art at the University of Kansas, and we were trying to think of like a, a sports-related art activity. And my coworker, Allie, was like, oh, what about pennants? And like oh. they would make their own pennants. And like I, I thought that's a really good idea because- Brilliant. Yeah. There's a lot of artistry within that. And I remember mm-hmm. like one of the only pennants I have was Zach Greinke in 2009, won the Cy Young for the Royals. And I just had a pennant of him like with some of his stats and it said he won the Cy Young and yeah, that I'm not sure what happened to that. I think it's still in my <laughs> bedroom back home, but um, just ended somewhere. up with it, but yeah, yeah but it's well, um, a fun have, thing that, like you said, isn't around a ton anymore either. No, no, but you know, it's fun. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard a company called Oxford Pennant. Oxford Pennant is a company in Buffalo that started in 2013, I believe 12 or 13. They've been around 10 years. And they're, they've now become the world's largest producer of pennants. So yeah. they can make pennants for your business. They can make pennants for your little league team. They can make pennants for, for anything that you want to make. And uh, they've done a phenomenal job here in town. And, and we've actually worked with them a couple of times, Oxford Pennant. And they're just a, a great a local company. They do a lot for charity here in town. So uh, they've kind of brought pennants back to the fore, you know, in, into the, into the, uh, into the public eye because you know like i said the last 20 years have you ever bought a pennant at a sports game probably not it's one of my favorite things to collect yeah i think i have heard of that company i didn't know they were from buffalo so that's a cool connection as well i believe you've worked on a couple of books and i would love to hear your perspective on just kind of writing books about buffalo sports and the process behind that and it seems to tie everything together that you enjoy so much about telling these stories. So what was that process like for you? Yeah. I mean, I've always been uh, the guy that uh, an author comes to, to check statistics, check history. Uh, Can you read this over for me? Make sure I'm right. Fact check. I was always that guy. And I've done many books with, with other people, but never one on my own. Uh, A gentleman came up to me about, uh, oh God, about 10 years ago, Paul Langendorfer, who wanted to do a, a, a book on the history of baseball in Buffalo. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to help out. So he kind of did the writing and I did all the visualizing. I, I did all the, the, the pictures of, of old gum cards and, and like I said, pennants and, and uh, pictures of players and things. So I helped him with that. And it turned out to be a, a phenomenal success. And I said, you know, why can't I do my own book? You know, I've always helped other people. Why can't I do my own? And uh, this is the book I came up with. It's called uh, Buffalo's Got the Spirit growing up a crazy Buffalo sports collector. And it's a big giant coffee table book of literally everything in Buffalo sports history that you could collect. So it turned out really, really good. Writing it was fun because I'm not a writer. I think the last thing I wrote of uh, of substance was a college term paper, but uh, I was lucky enough that my cousin is the, uh, one of the editors of the Buffalo newspaper here in town. And he edited it for me and did a great job. 
but it's about my experiences growing up a, a sports fan of how I collected, of going to Seven uh, Elevens when you're a kid and buying gum cards, of going to games at, at the auditorium to watch the Sabres and the Buffalo Braves, how I got into collecting certain things, and then um, how I've collected lately and turned this little obsession with a giant passion. So it's a fun book. It sold really well here in town. I'm very proud of it. And uh, if you like, uh, you know, visualizing, you know, pennants and programs and ticket stubs and, and, and just doing not a lot of reading, but a lot of looking, it's a great book. I am very proud of it. I would love for you to talk about creating that museum in your basement because I've collected stuff throughout my childhood and as I've grown up and it's like, it's not to that point where I could create a, a space, but what was that moment for you where you were like, I have too much stuff to not be able to display it for whoever. So what was that kind of thought process like for you? Yeah, that, that, that was born out of us building a new house. Basically the house that, that we used to live in was small. I used to have a small room off the side and, and, and there was just no way to properly display anything that I had. Everything was basically kept in totes and boxes and, and, you know, out of the public eye. And when we decided to build a new home here in suburban Buffalo, uh, one of the things I required was a, was a big basement, just a big, huge space that I could turn into a museum. So we moved in. We waited about a year or so. And uh, luckily, I had two friends, one of which was in the construction business, who did all kind of uh, home remodeling and, and things like that. So he had a lot of tools that I would have not had to be able to do. And uh, the three of us just basically turned this boring basement into what really is a, a museum. So over the course of about four months, uh, we did all the work. Uh, we did everything from drywall to the ceiling to the floor. And then um, the big case that stands behind me is about a 25 foot case that I had. Uh, I didn't dare do this. So I contacted a, a professional glass company here in town. And then they put the glass in because that was something I just was, it was just too much money. I was not going to mess that up. So they actually yeah. came in, did a fantastic job, hung the glass and it, it just, it looks fantastic. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. So the whole process probably took less than six months and, uh, and we got it done. Wow. It's really cool. And I will, I will share some images of it as well. Cause I think it's Thank important you. for people to see that and, and can see that passion on display in your, your basement. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. What, yeah, what are some of your favorite artifacts you've collected from your personal collection? Wow, where do you begin? Going to games as a kid meant a lot to me. So to be able to bring home artifacts from a stadium, from an arena, is really cool. To be able to have seats that once sat thousands of people watching a hockey game and have them in my basement is very cool. A lot of baseball collectors always have to get like one seat whether it's from Tiger Stadium or Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park, they always have to have one seat. Well, I went a little overboard. I had to have a seat from every different color section. So okay. <laughs> I've, got, I've got seats from the blues, the oranges, the golds, the reds all over the stadium, which is kind of fun. I love that. And also uh, lockers that once housed, you know, players, jerseys and equipment. We have lockers down here. Uh, we have turnstiles that people used to have to go through. So, you know, how many 
thousands of people have gone through that turnstile, you know, throughout all the, all the time to go into a game. It now resides in my basement, which is really neat. I have the sign, the original sign that hung over War Memorial Stadium, which was the Bills Stadium until 1973. And that, <laughs> that's a story in its own. That was in a dumpster that was getting thrown out and basically pulled out of the dumpster and brought home, or that would be sitting in a landfill right now. So very cool stuff. We have uh, a giant section of the auditorium where the Buffalo Braves played and where basketball was played at the auditorium for over 50 years. That is in the basement, two big giant pieces that, you know, fit together, you know, think of uh, the Boston parquet floor in in Boston garden. It's basically Mm -hmm. Buffalo's version of that. And that sits in the basement. So that's very neat. I love those things that, that uh, so many people touched throughout history and now they're here, you know, so that's kind of my fun, my fun thing that I like to collect game jerseys are always fun because you know, that probably that player used that Jersey in an actual game, always fun to collect jerseys. Those have gotten very pricey though. Those are hard to collect because, you know, in the last 20 years, game jerseys have just taken off like crazy, you know, yeah. try to try to buy, you know, Peyton Manning's jersey or Tom Brady's jersey. You can't do it. But back when I was collecting, you know, it was $400 for a jersey. Yeah, a big, a big uh, chunk of money for a 21-year-old, but, you know, far away from, you know, what you see today. So game jerseys are fun. I love all that stuff. I'm proud of everything that's down here. That's awesome. Do you have a story about like the impact your collection or the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame's collection like has on a specific person or maybe a relative of an inductee? Or can you think of any stories just kind of off the top of your head that would be cool to share to our listeners? I mean, I get stuff given to me once in a while, and that always means a lot to me. For the Hall of Fame, for the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, everyone that we induct we ask that that they, or if they're deceased, their family donate one piece of memorabilia to, to represent them in our display, which again, we're so sad that, you know, for the last four years, we haven't been able to do that. So that's, that's cool. You know, to have the glove that, that Warren Spahn used in 1962, fantastic piece of memorabilia to have a game Jersey that Ron Jaworski wore, you know, for the Philadelphia Eagles is fantastic too. You know, those are really cool pieces. Uh, in my own personal collection, I do have people that, that love to give me things <laughs> and sometimes they're really good. Most of the time, they're not much of anything, but, but I just, I get a thrill that, that they trust me, you know, that they, 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 they look at me and they see the passion and they trust me to take care of their item because they really have nowhere to go with it. So I'm happy to do that. And, and I, like I said, I make, I make this available to whoever wants to come and see it. I've had tons of people come down and have a good time and just, you know, look through history. So, you know, one particular piece, it would be very hard to do that. I always tell, I always tell everybody this. When somebody asks me what my favorite piece is, I always say it's, it's my dad's baseball glove. That started me on this, you know, him mm-hmm. pitching to me in, in the backyard or at the field, that started me on this journey. So I always say my, my dad's baseball glove is the coolest thing that I have. It means nothing to anybody else, but to me, it means everything. Yeah, it's those personal connections that are so special to my own sports fandom and just everybody has those connections sometimes whether they realize it or not to specific players or family members, like you said. Oh, yeah. So absolutely that's really, really special. 
Can you talk about where people can find the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, either online or um, I know in person is kind of up in the air, but um, where can people get more information on the hall? Yeah, we have our own website, gbshof.com, greaterbuffalosportshalloffame.com. Uh, that lists uh, a biography for everyone that's inducted in our Hall of Fame with a picture. Uh, some videos also. We have links to all our, all our inductees uh, on YouTube where we did a, a minute, minute and a half video of most everyone in our Hall of Fame. So if they're interested in Warren Spahn, if they're interested in Calvin Murphy or Bob Lanier, they can go watch a video uh, with a link from our website. So that, that would be the place that I would say to, to go right now. Um, again, we are, we are thrilled as anything to be, have this opportunity with this, with this uh, organization here in town that, uh, that we feel that's going to be the home for the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame very soon. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, John, and just for your passion. I can tell that through the Zoom screen right here, but it's really exciting to talk to somebody with such an interest and and kind of has the personal collection, but then also a a affiliation with a just another entity like you do with the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame. So thanks for your time and for your stories today. It was really cool. Absolutely. I I love what you do. You got a great podcast and and I've had a a good time uh, listening to your past episodes. So thank you very much for what you do. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Sandy Koufax, Lefty Grove, Clayton Kershaw, Steve Carlton. When people think of the greatest left-handed starting pitchers in baseball history, Warren Spahn likely isn't the first name that comes up, but maybe he should be. After all, this Buffalo-born ace still holds the Major League Baseball record for most career wins by a southpaw. In this episode's overtime segment, let's take a look at Spawn's career and life, which involved much more than America's pastime. Warren Edward Spawn was born on April 23, 1921 in Buffalo, New York. He was one of six children born to Ed and Mabel Spawn. They were blue-collar, and Warren grew up learning the game from his dad, who played semi-pro ball. Warren grew up going to Buffalo Bisons games with his dad. Remember that John talked about the Bison's rich history in the city. I'm reminded often that baseball is a game of fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, all who love our national pastime. As a teenager, Spawn pitched well and also played first base, but was really skinny. His listed professional playing weight on baseball reference is 172 pounds. He was signed by a scout from the Boston Bees, now the Atlanta Braves, in 1940. Warren made his MLB debut in 1942 at the age of 21, but his time in the majors was brief as a September call-up. He had an ERA over 5 in just 15 innings. And right after that season ended, Warren Spahn enlisted in the U.S. Army. He served in an engineering division before moving overseas. But before then, he did get to play some baseball for one of the various Army teams. Spahn's initial military rank was Staff Sergeant, and his unit repaired roads and bridges in Europe. He served in the Battle of the Bulge and earned a Bronze Star and Purple Heart. He was wounded with shrapnel in his foot. And according to Spahn's very thoroughly researched Sabre bio, written by Jim Kaplan, which I'll link to in the episode show notes, Spawn was the most decorated ball player who served his country in World War II. He was also the only ball player who received a promotion, from staff sergeant to second lieutenant. What a hero. Spawn returned to Boston in 1946 and earned his first career win at the age of 25. That makes his 363 career win total all the more impressive. During his Braves tenure, which spanned time in Boston and Milwaukee, Spawn was dominant for a sustained period of time, 20 seasons. His baseball reference stats page is filled with black ink, meaning he led the league in the statistic. Eight times he led the National League in wins, three times in earn-run average, four times in innings pitched, and four times in strikeouts. 
He won the 1957 Cy Young Award and likely would have won a few more in the early part of his career if the award was around then. Also in 1957, he helped lead the Braves to the World Series title, defeating the mighty New York Yankees in seven games. In his postseason career, which was the 1948, 1957, and 1958 World Series, he was 4-3 with a 3.05 ERA. Fon was like a fine wine, seemingly getting better with age. Remember when I said he led the league in wins eight times? Well, five of those times were consecutive, from 1957 to 1961, when Warren was ages 36 to 41, and his two career no-hitters came at ages 39 and 40. And he wasn't a particularly good hitter, but Warren did clobber 35 homers over his long career. Warren Spahn wound down his career by splitting his 1965 season with the Mets and Giants. He retired at age 44 after the 65 season. His career totals are staggering, especially compared to today's starting pitchers. 363 wins versus 245 losses, 2,583 strikeouts, and get this, Warren Spahn threw a complete game in 57% of his starts. That's simply unfathomable today. Warren Spahn was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1973 on the first ballot, making him just the sixth person at the time to be first ballot. He was inducted into the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame in 1991. What a career for this Buffalo legend. You can find the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame online at buffalosportshalloffame.com, which I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. Use their site for finding out more info on their physical location moving forward as well. You can also find the museum on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks to John for a fun conversation. And thank you for checking out Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. If you have any suggestions for guests or museums to highlight in future episodes, please email me at halloweddgroundpod at gmail.com. Thanks in advance. Until next time, sports fans.